With gratitude, we would like to acknowledge that Foundry Ridge Meadows is on the unceded, ancestral, traditional, and territorial land of the Catesy and Kwantlen people. Welcome back to another episode of Peers in a Pod. My name is Connor, and today I am joined for this discussion on all things substance use with Ryan Wu, a prevention worker with Alouette. Um, so Ryan, if you want to maybe introduce yourself and kind of your, your role perhaps with, uh, as a prevention worker. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. I'm, I'm excited. Um, yeah, like Connor said, I'm a, a youth prevention worker or youth prevention worker with, um, Alouette, uh, mostly based, um, out of high school. So serving use, um, kind of from that 13 age range to kind of up to, um, 24, um, started about back in May, so still somewhat new at it, and especially with um, schools being not in session for most of my role so far. I think just slowly learning the the ropes and and getting myself um, introduced to all the schools. Awesome. Uh, yeah, so that was honestly, like, there's a lot of already good jumping off points from there. I got a lot of things I want to ask you, but maybe let's start kind of broadly in terms of what does it look like you know, we're talking about youth who are in our community, who are in the school system, that kind of age group. Uh, and I know sometimes it can be difficult or you're not really sure like when you should be reaching out for supports, like, you know, just taking stock of your own life and like things that you might want to change or get help with. Like, what does it look like for somebody when they might consider coming and starting to get support from you? Yeah, that's a great question. I think uh, we get our referrals through a lot of different avenues. So uh, some of the users are self-referred. So um, to, to what you alluded to, I think having started this position, I think I didn't give the youth like an, or use in general enough credit for how self-aware uh, they kind of are. So I think that just feeds in that piece of the, the self-referral and realizing that they need help with certain things. Uh, and another piece is uh, we got a lot of referrals from school counselors or or peers of um, these youths that are in need of support. So, and it's not always just substance use. So it's, it's we uh, work with substance affected youths as well. So whether they have a parent a guardian or a friend or whoever um, that has a substance use disorder and it's affecting them, um, we, we try to support those individuals as well. But it is mainly through self-referrals and referrals from, from school counselors and um, yeah, and, and sometimes other peers as well. Yeah. And, you know, to, to make it clear for those who are listening as well, I will have all the links on, and numbers and stuff like that for our community resources um, that you can follow up on and, and look at for yourself. So something that um, that you mentioned just there, I think is, is kind of interesting because I, I'm not too sure about what it would look like either. What would you say are maybe the differences, maybe there's plenty of similarities between supporting someone who is directly dealing with substance use themselves, like they're using substances for somebody who is dealing with substance, you know, effectiveness, somebody else in their life is using. How do you approach that with them? Yeah, that's a good, good question. Um, I, I am still somewhat fairly new at this, but from what I've seen is, is, we're super big on the importance of harm reduction. And I think that's more pertinent to individuals who are using substances. So, so again, reducing the harms and kind of, yeah, making sure that whatever they're doing is safe. We're not there to, to necessarily tell them what to do. Um, obviously abstinence at the end of the day is, is the goal, but you can't, can't start from there. Um, so yes, I think just, just supporting them in terms of what they need to make sure 
um, that what they're doing is safe. And I think supporting supporting those who are affected, I think it, it's it's more of a, I feel like it's more of a emotional intervention at the beginning. I think it's it's you know there's a lot of trauma or a lot of anxiety that that's I think as a result of being substance affected. You know maybe witnessing a parent, um, you know behavior change because, you know, if there's substances that you're using, whether it's alcohol, you know, maybe it's if they're witnessing them drinking or driving or them becoming increasingly violent and leading to, you know, potential arrests um, and, and kind of just working through those things there. So it's just, I, I think it's, it's, there, there are a lot of similarities too, where I feel like supporting somebody um, using substances, I think there, there is that emotional piece as well, but I think, um, perhaps the priority of the uh, initial engagement is a bit different where you're not necessarily as worried about the harm reduction part with someone who's substance affected versus uh, if they're using. Totally. Yeah. And so I, I wonder if we might want to take this uh, moment as well to maybe plug the, the group that y'all do that happens uh, at the foundry as well. Yeah. So uh, me and uh, my coworker, uh, Mary, we run a substance affected group at the foundry for um, girls between uh, kind of ages of 12, 13, around that age. So uh, we meet with weekly and, and it's kind of just a safe space for um, that's, that's kind of what we, we established the first time we met is just, a, it's a safe space for everyone to come together and share their thoughts. And, and, you know, some weeks are heavier, some weeks are lighter. And, and I think it's, it's just depending on what uh, the participants need, if they, you know, have a lot to get off their chest regarding uh, what happened to them. And they, there's a space for that if they want to just paint and draw and, and um, do something a little more relaxing, a little more um, lighthearted. We're, we're there for that too. I think it's just, it, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's aligned uh, or goal setting, right? It's meeting, meeting the participants and meeting the use where they're at. And, but yeah, no, the group's been really good. I think it's, it's uh, everyone's kind of gotten to know each other pretty well and, kind of gain a familiarity with each other and also us as well. And I think it just um, seeing some of the participants who may have been more apprehensive and less inclined to share things, they've, they've definitely opened up a little bit and, and it's, it's been a nice change to see for sure. Yeah, there's always, I feel like there's always that tipping point in therapeutic or support-based groups where it clicks for people and they kind of understand that they there is shared like vulnerability within the participants of the group and that you know it is that safe space so that's really I feel like that's kind of where the magic happens for groups is when everybody can look and see each other as equals as supports for each other you know while you're in the group and you know, you, you can really gain a lot from those connections. And I, I guess I wanted to explore that with you a little bit. Like, what would you say are some of the, the differences that can come out of direct support, like one-on-one with clients uh, versus, you know, group support, the different benefits that they might have? Yeah, I, I, no, it's a good question. And, and, but quickly to your point, I think, I think the tipping point, I, I, that's very, yeah, well-worded. It's just, yeah, there, there comes to a point where everyone's so comfortable with each other that they're like, okay, like this person experienced what I have. But to your question, I think, um, and again, I'm so <laughs> new at this, uh, but I think in terms of individually, it's it feels a lot more, for the lack of a better term, like counseling, where it's kind of, you know, it feels more like a counseling session where um, you sit down with the youth, you talk, you, you speak with them and you kind of, you know, you work, you work through things that maybe they're dealing with um at the moment of what they're in crisis for and I think in groups it's more of a 
chance to reflect and more of a chance to, you know, be supported by those around your peers and kind of maybe more so build resiliency in the moment where there's, I feel like there's less, uh, it's less chaotic in terms of what we're trying to work on. And at least from my experience anyways, and I think um, to your point, it's as, as good as it is to have another person sitting across from you, I think the benefits of having, you know, three or four or five of, of, you know, people your age sitting right across from you who have experienced very similar things that you have. I think it, it makes it more real. And then, you know, the more real it becomes, I feel like the more you can, you know, get at it and, and try to cope with it and build resiliency from it. Yeah. At, at the end of the day, right. You're like, you're dealing with substance affected youth or sub, you know, youth who are substance using and, and maybe struggling with addiction. It kind of depends, you know, where, where they're at. Right. And that, that isolating piece though, you're, Either way, you know, any support is good support when you're coming to, to see somebody. But I think that that is kind of that that benefit of the group, which, you know, some people aren't ready for as well, right? Like group readiness is a thing that we consider when, when we start groups and, and stuff like that. I'm sure you've had many conversations with, with your staff and, and stuff like that. Um, but it really is, there's not, there's no other substitute for it than being able to share, like you said, with, with a couple people versus, you know, just kind of one-on-one for sure. And, and I do think it makes it easier to, have those skills that you might be practicing in the group stick a little bit more, right? Because you you have multiple people to bounce your understanding and your questions off of and your reflections. Yeah. Um, so we touched on it briefly a bit before, but I wanted to just kind of get get your take, get your uh, your feelings around harm reduction because I I know I've talked with with parents perhaps and you know people who directly care for the young person who might be using and it's just like I just want it can it just be nothing at all right like why are we giving them supplies for this like why are we enabling you know that kind of language and fear I I think definitely comes up for people who aren't maybe well versed in harm reduction yeah yeah that's a great question and I um I I think Part of this piece starts from um, I, I've, I've had experience working in shelters where they've had, you know, safe injection or harm reduction supplies there. So like syringes or, or um, anything they can need to, to, to use whatever substance they want. I think it just it started from there for me, too. And, and kind of it is a bit of a different perspective, I, w- I would have to say, like with the youth. And it's it's a bit more of a. Yeah, I guess it's a bit tougher to kind of have to, you know, hand a naloxone kit to like an 18 year old versus uh, a 50 year old, not that, you know, any, not that either of the lies is more important than the other, but I think it's, yeah, I think it's just about a mindset shift. And I think it's, you know, what it like, I think it goes back to what is stigma, right? Like I think reducing, the more we can reduce the stigma of substance use, I think the more we can kind of push this idea of harm reduction and, and it works, right. It's, it's not, you know, it's not like we're enabling people. It's just, I always, I always think of it this way where it's, you know, explain to friends or family or whoever about it. It's like, whether you give someone a clean needle or not, or like in this hypothetical, they're going to do what they're going to do. Right. So might as well make it safe because you're not, I feel like, I feel like when we think of helping people, we always think of, oh, abstinence, abstinence. And, and with, yeah, at the end of the day, I think that's what we, sh- um, the end goal should be. But, you know, in the moment it's, it's, if you, that's all you push, you're not going to get through them. Right. So it's like, in that moment, what they need from you in terms of support and help is to make sure that whatever they're doing isn't going to cause them their life or isn't going to, you know, transmit some disease because they're, they're using already used needles from the street. But I think 
it, it's it's definitely something that I've had a mindset shift on, or or not even just a mindset shift, or just something that I was even made aware of, right? Where it's having not been exposed to it until maybe even just a few years ago, I didn't really think much of it, but I think now it's kind of gone a complete 180 where I'm so for harm reduction, where I, I think it, it's, it's the way to go. And it, it, the data backs it up, you know, it, it reduces criminal, uh, criminal activity, it reduces costs associated with medical care, with the criminal justice system. It's, you know, it's everything. And, and I, I think it's just, you want to make it safe and, and, that can come in a lot of ways, I think. Yeah, I had to put uh, a, a really great example was given to us. Actually, we just had harm reduction training in a nice refresher course um, the other uh, week. And the presenter was talking about the idea of, you know, and, and I, th- I feel like a lot of people have heard this um, explanation before, right? There's, there's drugs and there's substances in our everyday life, right? You know, there's caffeine, there's, you know, you have alcohol, you have, you know, whatever substance it is. Right. Um, but he was talking about the idea of safe injection sites and how like globally, uh, there's not been a death associated with like an overdose death at a a safe injection site globally in the, in the world, people don't die when they go there to use, right. Because there's safety measures there's in place, right. You have supports there who are looking after you and the idea that they're already are safe consumption sites for all kinds of substances. You can go to the brewery and somebody's going to, you know, the bartender there is going to cut you off when you've started to have too much, right. And, and you're not safely consuming anymore, right? Like there, there are these things in place, but like you said, there's a stigma around those certain substances within our communities that are attributed largely to like marginalized groups or vulnerable populations. Right. And realistically, we already have the infrastructure in place for other things, but just not for what we've stigmatized so heavily. Uh, it's, it's just kind of, it makes you think a little bit, right. About, about the history of a lot of these substances. And it's quite an interesting deep dive in, you know, why is alcohol so readily uh, available and, and all that kind of stuff, but some of these other things aren't. And, and we just, in our recent history, right. And marijuana, it's, it just kind of makes you think. I guess I wanted to, to now maybe dive into a bit of your experiences in, in working with youth. If there's trends that you have noticed since uh, starting your position, is there questions that come up from youth more often than others? What would be some good general PSAs that could be brought up right now for people? Yeah, totally. Um, I, I think uh, with this, my, my experience is a bit limited, but I think it's just in terms of um, one thing that I've noticed personally is how how young it's starting, right? It's, you know, I, I hear stories from from my colleagues and even myself, you know, people are 12, 13 doing, <laughs> doing LSD on a Tuesday. And it's like, it, 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 I think that's that's the big piece that's kind of been a bit of a eye-opener. But I, um, like, in talking with with my colleagues and, and asking them, like, in, in preparation for this, so I think some of the big things that they've come up with, like, you know, like what's the worst drug or like what causes addiction? Like um, things like how do you cure an addiction or like um, can I be addicted after one time? Or it's like, you know, why are, why is something like marijuana legalized if it's so bad? And I think um, a lot of these general questions, I think about um, how addiction works and, and kind of why people turn to substances in the first place. Right. So I, I to answer some of those, I think, one of my coworkers, they give a great presentation on, on, on feelings and, and emotions. And, you know, they do an exercise where they, 
get the classroom to say a bunch of emotions and then they write them on the board. And then, um, then they ask the class like, okay, so now which emotion do you not want to feel? And then they, you know, slowly erase them one by one. And then at the end, there's nothing on the board. And then the big question comes, okay, like, well, what happens if you feel nothing? Like if you don't have any feelings at all. And then it's kind of this big epiphany moment with the class where it's like, oh my gosh, like we need to feel things. Right. And we need to kind of deal with how we feel things. So the message with that is, you know, there's a lot of healthy ways to deal with our emotions. And then a lot of the kids, they come up with great ones, like, you know, hanging out with my friends, I'll pet my dog, I'll draw or whatever. And then the other part is too, well, there's a lot of unhealthy ways to cope with things, right? You know, you can, and one of them is just have, unfortunately happens to be substances. So that's a big one. And um, another one is kind of like the, the Good Samaritan Act. I think that's just another one that uh, we try to push out there. So you know, knowing that, you know, if you're in danger or you're in peril, like call, call 911, like you're not going to, the police won't come and arrest you because, you know, you've called for help. Like that's, that's, it's there to protect you. And I think it's just, uh, hearing myself say this, I think it just comes from a, a, a harm reduction standpoint again, right? Because it's, you know, you're not going to, just because you give one presentation, you're not going to ensure that nobody ever does, you know, any substances or, or, or has any of these struggles, right? It's, it's, it'd be unrealistic and, and honestly naive, but I think it's just coming from the perspective of these messages that we're um, pushing words, you know, how do we make whatever you want to do safe? And I think, I think that's the, that's the big piece too, but yeah, these like a lot of general questions too, I think about um, just general substances, like, you know, which drugs are the worst for you? Like, you know, is vaping bad is smoking bad things like that that um it's kind of what i've heard from from my colleagues and in asking them i think i might uh if you're cool with it we could wrap up with talking about um maybe some of the resources that are like maybe your go-tos like if you're going to send somebody to uh, something like maybe it's like toward the heart or if you're going to recommend them uh, a harm reduction app, like a lifeguard app or something like that. If, if you can speak to maybe some of the resources that you offer to people and how they can find it. And I'll put those in the link description for people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so like you've mentioned lifeguard app, that's a great one. If you're using a loan, it's so easy. You literally just download on your phone, you press, you know, the timer. And then, you know, if the timers, they'll check in on you through the app. And if you don't click yes, they'll send people to help you. Um, Another good one is that we recently found out about is uh, Pathfinders. It's a, it's a work um, placement uh, organization. So they help anybody between 19 to 30 find, find work. And it's a full-time thing. Um, they'll get you trained in six weeks and help you interview, help you, you know, buy clothes and everything like that. And honestly, another big one is the, is the foundry is, is, is you guys. And I've sent, uh, I've told quite a few of the kids that I see about it. And I know all my other colleagues, um, they, they refer you guys uh, a lot as well. And, and in the community, I think those are kind of the ones I've had most um, of my interactions with, but I know there's also Fraser River Indigenous Society. I've been by there and introduced myself. And yeah, I think those are the big ones. I, I nothing, or maybe uh, Maple Retreatment Center, um, uh, the RAC Clinic um, for detox, Creekside, I know, but that's in Surrey, so maybe, but I know um, a lot of my colleagues have have made referrals for their use to go there, and even uh, us, Alouette, um, we, you know, if you need a naloxone kit, fentanyl testing kit, um, any sort of harm reduction supplies that you could really think of, um, we're, we're a good resource for that as well. 
That's awesome. So hearing you speak about Pathfinders, I actually went through Pathfinders myself. It's a great program. It's honestly amazing. You get you get regular, pay, like paid to basically be become employable, like more employable. It's it's a fantastic program. You get a bunch of different certificates that you get paid to go get food saved, to get serving it right, to like get all these amazing opportunities. And you can also be supporting yourself financially while that's happening. Right. I think that's a huge part when we're talking about like, you know, harm reduction and stuff like that. You look at the rest of the people's lives beyond the substance use that's going on for them. Right. Like can, do they have a place to sleep at night? Right. Do they need shelter? Do they need food? Do they need access to, to money and stuff like that to be able to, to live? Right. Like it's, it's all, it's all one kind of equation. Right. Um, so that's awesome. Yeah. So all of those resources that we talked about will be in the link description and, uh, you know, for, for people listening that that's a bit much to, to that you feel like maybe I don't know how to, um, go through these different like referral forms or like, I, I just get confused by it or something. You can also come to a lot of these different organizations that you mentioned and people will help you through that process. Right. I think that's a big thing as well. Like when you're struggling, it's, it's very easy to feel like you're struggling alone but there have been people who have walked in the footsteps you're currently going through before and they will, they're happy to help, right? Like that's, that's what they want to do in life is help with where you're at. Thanks so much for coming on to talk with me, Ryan. Is there any closing thoughts that, that you wanted to, to leave people with? No, I think, I think you, we covered a lot and yeah, thanks for having me on. It's, it's nice to chat about um, what we do and, and, there's so many good organizations out, out here in Maple Ridge that I didn't know about, not, not being from the area, but it's, it's nice to, you know, meet a lot of you and yeah, just like you said, share our passion of just wanting to help. I think that's sometimes that's all you need is just that willingness to put your out, put yourself out there to support, you know, others. And then I think, yeah, that's where the magic happens. Awesome. Well, thanks everybody for listening and stay tuned for the next iteration where we'll be talking with somebody else about substance use in our community. All right. Bye.